What's going on, everybody? How are y'all today? So, <laughs> I did not think about when we flipped the service, which that's why I'm here. Uh, the early service kind of freaked out a little bit. Uh, there were some people that were running in late, <laughs> and like I saw some elbows to some of the, the moms, the, you know, elbow and the dad. I told you, you were, I told you we were late. Man, we are excited to be here. We are flipping the script a little bit. Man, we are so excited what God's doing in our student ministry. Man, D-Now was fantastic, and uh, and now we get to celebrate that. And, uh, man, the Lord's doing an awesome, awesome work through the bakers. Man, we're so excited to have them on our team, and we hope that you guys are as well. But thank you for coming to Lindsay Lane. As my wife said, those Connect cards are our lifeline to you. We would love to, let, we would love to know how we can minister to you as as a church, and so we just really, really uh, want y'all to be able to take advantage of those. And listen, that's to let us know if you're a first-time guest, that's to let us know that you're a first-time guest, but it's also to let us know if you are, um, if you have a prayer request or there's any decision that you make during our service, you can do that as well. And I'll let the people that are online know as well that you can uh, fill that out uh, on the original post of this stream, uh, regardless of the platform you're watching it, you can find a link to that, and uh, we have a digital connect card that you can be connected to as well. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Man, lots of stuff to celebrate today as we celebrate what God's done in the life of our teenagers. We celebrate what God did in our first service and what he's going to do in this service as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the the energy that your Holy Spirit provides in this room today. And Father, we look forward, God, to seeing how you're going to move, how you're going to work, God, through this service, how you've already begun to work. And so, Father, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for everything that you're so worthy of. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen and amen. We're in our last week of our Better Than Good series, talking about emphasizing the holiness of God. If God is holy, what does that mean for our lives. We've talked about the holiness of God that Isaiah witnessed in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read it here in just a moment. We, we see the encounter that he has with God, seeing God high and lifted up, right? It's unfamiliar in a lot of, lot of ways to how we tend to view God today as the man upstairs or, or the father. Another attribute of God is his holiness. In fact, it's the attribute of God, that he is holy in everything that he does. We talked about, so we talked about adoration two weeks ago, seeing God for who he is. This past week, we talked about confession. We talked about atonement and what Christ has done in light of who he is, what God has done in order to allow us to be in relationship with him. He has forgiven us of our sin. He's cleansed us. And so we've talked about those things. Today, we are going to focus on the very practical ramifications for our life. If God is holy, if God is holy, what does it mean practically for our life? And what we find is God has an assignment for every one of us in this room. If you have experienced the goodness of God, 
If you are, have a relationship with him, then there is an assignment for you. Pat Dye, I'm an Alabama fan, okay? But Pat Dye, known for some good quotes, uh, he was interviewed one time by a young reporter that was just cutting his teeth in the industry, and he asked Coach Dye, he said, Coach Dye, what is it that you are looking for? As you are recruiting young men for your football team, what is it that you are looking for? And he said, well... There's a type of young man that regardless of all his measurables, if he gets hit, he just, he's not tough. He just doesn't get back up. And the young man looked at him and said, Coach Dye, I think I know you're going with this. You don't want that guy on your team, do you? He said, no, nah, I don't have any place on my team for a man like that. He said, then there's another type of young man. He said, there's a type of young man that he gets hit and he gets back up. He gets hit. And he gets back up, but somewhere along the line, someone big enough, someone strong enough hits him, and regardless of his measurables, he refuses to get back up. He said, Coach, I think I understand where you're going. You don't want that guy either, do you? And he said, No, I don't have any place for that man on my team. He said, So, Coach, let me guess. You're looking for that guy that when he gets knocked down, he gets back up. Gets knocked down, gets back up. And it doesn't matter what happens to this young man. If When he gets knocked down, he gets back up. That's the guy you want on your team. Coach Dow looked at him and said, young man, I'll take that kid, but I'd rather have the kid that's going around knocking all these guys over. Right? At the end of the day, right, what we are called to make in the kingdom of God is impact, is eternal impact impact in the life that we live, in the lives that we live for God, in the lives that we live in light of who God is. And so God's holiness requires that we see him for who he is. This is adoration. And we ourselves for who we really are. This is where we understand our need for atonement. But in light of who God is and what he has done in our life, God's holiness requires that we act. It requires that we do something in light of his holiness. And so we have to, if we have to come to him on his terms, if we are made clean according to his terms, then it just makes sense that we are to be sent out under his terms. And so let's read in Isaiah chapter 6 the whole text of what Isaiah has encountered as we've read it the last couple of weeks. Beginning in verse 1, listen to what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said... In verse 5, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is the experience that Isaiah has had with God. Seeing God for who he is, recognizing his need for forgiveness and a need for a covering for his sin. But then we come to verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 reads like this. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Send me. The first thing we're going to look at in this passage is the process. Beginning in verse 8, we see a clear process lined out in Scripture. The very first word in your Bible in verse 8 could read and. It could also read then. This word in the Hebrew language, a little crash course on the confusion that is the, the Hebrew language is Hebrew, first of all, reads not left from right. It reads right from left. And so when you see the lines and see it justified on the right there and adjusted on the right, it, it's from the right. And so you read a text right to left. And if that doesn't blow your mind enough, the way that they form phrases is they take one word, one verb, and they smash a bunch of word endings and word beginnings in order to make a giant phrase. Right? It doesn't have any punctuation mark. The original Hebrew didn't have any punctuation mark, which, by the way, includes spaces. Right? Good luck right? trying to read the, the Hebrew Tanakh, right? the Hebrew Torah. And this is how we have Hebrew. The word and, or in your Bible perhaps, if you're reading the Christian Standard Bible or, or something like it, the word and or then is the, in the beginning of the word is literally one letter. It is one letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and that one letter occurs almost 40,000 times in the Old Testament. Almost 30,000 times in the Hebrew Old Testament do we see this one little letter, the letter is a vav, right? It's a one little Hebrew letter, and it's stuck at the beginning of the word meaning to hear or to listen, shema. And so this vav is here as a conjunction. Now you may be thinking, come on preacher, where are you going with this, right? You may think it curious to bring attention to this, but I want you to think about it from Isaiah's term. This little letter at the beginning of this word, in the very first word in this text in verse 8, is used to indicate transition. There is a passing of time. It is to indicate a sequence of of events. It's why it's translated and or then. Listen to this in the way that Isaiah has approached it. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw God. Then God addressed the sin in my life. And then I was sent. The word and or then is a clear transition of thought meant to indicate a passing of time, a sequence of events. So I saw God, my sin was addressed, and then I 
was sent. I want you to know, in my ministry, I have seen people go on mission trips. I've seen people go for a variety of different reasons. As a youth pastor, some of my favorite were I saw boys go because their girlfriends were going. Now, that'll bless your heart as a youth pastor, right? Now, not only do I have to make sure that all these kids get something spiritually out of this trip and that they accomplish kingdom good, but now I've got to keep boyfriend and girlfriend apart, right? And so I have seen boyfriends or girlfriends go because their boyfriends or girlfriends went on the trip. And kids and students don't act like you don't do that, all right? You go certain places. That's why, guys, just why you go shopping, right? Because your girl's going, and so you'll go shopping, right? And so, and so I've seen people go for a variety of different reasons. I've seen students go to get away from their parents, It's why, it's why in the middle of the jungles of Ecuador, I would have two kids in one of the mission trips that I led leave the camp that we were in. We were in a group walking somewhere. They departed from my supervision, unbeknownst to me, went up to the top of the mountain, which was not far. It was, you know, an eighth of a mile or so from where we were at. It's a long way, by the way, in a foreign country. An eighth of a mile to where there was a radio tower and their big thing was they wanted to climb the radio tower. So that worked great until they touched the radio tower and alarms went off everywhere. And so the entire mountain erupts in alarm. And I'm thinking, great, I'm going to spend a night in an Ecuadorian gulag, right? I got in the prison, in the lockup. I'm going to spend a night in prison because these dummies, right? And so, why? Why did they do it? Because they were outside of their parents' care, so they figured they could do it on the youth pastor's time, right? I've seen people, I've seen students, I've seen people go for a variety of different reasons. Listen, for us in this world, you may have gone on mission, whether that's across the world or whether that's to next door, because you see it as a type of religious passage, Right? If I'm going to be a Christian, I need to tell people about Jesus. So I'm going to go out of compulsion because I, I need to do it. It's what God requires of me, so I need to do it. So it's a religious rite of passage. I've seen people travel and go because they want to see the world. It's another stamp on their passport. Right? I want to see the world. I see people go for a variety of different reasons, but I want you to understand in your notes, the goal of our life should not be simply to go, but rather to be sent. To be sent. Do not miss the importance of this little conjunction at the beginning of this word because it is It is uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7 that qualifies Isaiah to be sent by God. We go on our own power. We are sent on God's power. Just because we're going doesn't mean that we're in obedience. It doesn't mean that we are used for kingdom good. We can go for a lot of different reasons. But we know we're sent when we're sent on his terms and not our own. The difference between going and being sent, this nuance seems insignificant. But the thrust of this whole idea is the matter of who gets the credit. 
The difference between going and being sent is who gets the credit. So COVID messed up my wife and I's 10-year anniversary plan. We were going to go on a cruise. We were excited. Miss Brenda apparently feels that in, <laughs> deep down in her soul, uh, raising her hands there. Uh, but it ruined, our, it ruined our 10th anniversary plans. We were going to go on a cruise, and our cruise got canceled. Dad gummit. Right? Now, so what did I do? I flexed. I pulled an audible. My wife and I are going on a 12-year anniversary cruise. Right? I get credit for the thought on the 10-year. And hopefully, well, maybe not anymore, I get credit for the 12-year anniversary cruise, right? Why? I planned it on my terms. I planned it on a time that was convenient for me. And let me just be honest with you. I planned it to get the credit. I wanted to get the romantic credit of my husband reserving me a spot on this cruise ship. That's what I wanted. It was on my terms. We're going, but it's on my terms. This is far different than how we treat living on mission for our creator, holy God. We go on his terms, not our own. It is about the sending, not about the going. Because he gets the credit. Acts 1 verse 8, Matthew 28, 19 is clear. <clears throat> it is clear if you are a believer... Okay, You don't have to go outside and wait for the skies to split and wait for a country to appear like in cloud form above your house in order to know that you're called somewhere or called to do something. Some name written across the sky as some grand sign that God has sent you somewhere into someone. Acts 1.8 and Matthew 28.19 are proof that if you, have a if you are a child of God, you have been sent. Matthew 28.19 says, All power and authority is given to me in heaven and earth. This is Jesus. And he says, Go ye therefore. Go everywhere. And as you are going, make Disciples. This is the mission that God has given us. We don't need a sign. We don't need a directive. We know that we are called, we are sent on mission. Not just to go, but to go on his terms and not our own. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. It is the mark of someone who has been filled with the Holy Spirit of God to be sent out in that same power that saved them to bring the message of salvation to others. And so what is this one little letter crammed into one little word in the Hebrew text teach us? What's the application to that? Here's my application. What is your then? What is your and? What's next for you? If you have received Christ, what are you waiting on? What is, does the next step of obedience look like? You're in right relationship with Christ, but you have been sent. You have been entrusted with the presence of God, with the Holy Spirit. You owe 
You owe the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. What does your then look like? We are not a reservoir where we collect all the water, all the grace that we can and hoard it to ourselves. We're a river, right? We are just a channel that's cut out in the earth to get God's grace from one point to another. Why did God's grace flow to you? Because it was flowing to somebody else. And so that is what it means to live on mission, to live to be sent. And so why did Isaiah endure seeing the holiness of God? Why did he endure the atonement? It was so that he could be sent by God. And so then we see, right, in in verse 8, we see the plead. Number 2, we see the plead. He asks the question, He hears God ask a question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Do we believe that God is all-knowing? I believe we should. Do we believe he's omniscient? Do we believe that he's sovereign and in control? Do we believe that he knows and understands all outcomes before they begin? Do we believe that he's the alpha and the omega? Do we believe that he declares the end from the beginning? If we believe that, church, then we must believe when God asks a question, it is not to get information because he's got all the information he needs. He's got all information. He is the source of information. There is no point for God that he would benefit from asking the question, who's going to go for us? Who's gonna, who are we going to send, right? He's not going to benefit from that question because he has all information. Don't you know when God asks a question, it's not for his own benefit, it's for ours. When he asks Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam, where are you? It is not because he didn't know that he was on the fourth bush to the right. He, he knew that. He understood. He knew exactly Adam's favorite hiding spot. He asked it so that Adam would deal with his sin. When God says, whom will I send and who will go for us? It is not for God's information. In your notes, God's questions are not for his information, but rather our involvement. It should blow our minds that God still desires to use broken things like us to communicate his perfect message. That as Paul would call it, we are jars of clay. We are earthen vessels, very ordinary things that house a very extraordinary thing in the presence of God. And so his plead was not for information. It was to involve Isaiah in what he was doing. God knew Isaiah was the one he was going to send because he had already prepared him for seven verses to be sent. God knew. But he gave Isaiah an opportunity to be involved. God himself could have done it. He could have communicated the message. He didn't need Isaiah. He could have cut out the middleman and God could have much more effectively boomed his voice and communicated whatever message he needed to to Judah by himself. 
but he didn't. God could have used one of the seraphim that were there declaring holy, holy, holy and were atoning, using the coal to atone for Isaiah's sin. He could have used one of the angelic beings to declare his message. Scripture is clear he could have used rocks, which in many cases, in my case, at least a rock is neutral. My record is against God, not neutral. Anything in this story, anything in this scene would have been better to use than Isaiah. Flawed, human, sinful Isaiah. Fallen Isaiah. If anyone, if anything in this scene was unqualified to communicate the message of, that God had to deliver to his people, it was Isaiah. He was unqualified for the task. But God called him to do it. This is the best way I can illustrate it. I love doing ministry with my, my, my nine-year-old. Now, my six-year-old is getting there. My two-year-old, <laughs> no, not now, all right? But Cooper has a big old heart, and he loves ministry. And I love doing ministry with him. When we do men's events, we have a men's ministry. I don't know if you knew that or not, a men's Bible study that meets every other Sunday night. The women meet tonight. The men meet tomorrow, uh, next week. We've got a Bible study. We've got a curriculum that we're going through, How to Be a Man by Rick Burgess, that we would love for you to participate in. We've got the books in the back at the Next Steps table. You get $10, you get your book, or just get your book. Just ask for it, and we'll give it to you, okay? We'll square up later. But come and be a part of that. But when we go to men's ministry stuff, I try to bring Cooper along. Now, not because he's super convenient to bring along. He's not. When I go to serve in concession stands. My son will get angry at me if he doesn't get to go because he's social and he wants to interact and he's mad at his daddy if I'm not included in that. I don't know where he gets that from, right? I don't know where he gets it from, but he wants to interact with people. Here's the point. Don't you think if I tried, I could find somebody more qualified to help lead in ministry? Yeah, I sure could. In fact, Cooper's age can make him at times severely underqualified to do some of the things that we do in ministry. But I'm going to be real honest with you why I do it. On a practical level, it was modeled for me. My dad brought me all over the place in ministry. I went to my dad, with my dad to hospital visits. I went to my dad to funeral homes. I've been in more funerals than most of you have ever even thought of being in. I went to them. Why? Because my dad was a preacher. He was preaching them. I went to weddings. And you know what I saw? I got the opportunity to see my dad do things that I knew he couldn't do on his own. I knew he was ill-equipped. I knew my dad's shortcomings. I love my dad, but I knew he had shortcomings. I knew he, he didn't have all the answers. And I watched God time after time after time use my dad. And you know what it, you know what it communicated to me? That maybe God can use me too. Do you know what I pray for my life? I pray that my life is modeled in such a way to my kids that whether they are standing on a platform like this or they are communicating to a Sunday school class or a connect group or they are one-on-one -on -one in discipleship, I pray that my sons will know that God can use them for things that they are ill-equipped to do 
Because they've seen it in their daddy. And y'all, I've got mistakes. I've got brokenness for days. And my kids know it. But I pray in each of those instances, they get to see their daddy do things they only God could do through him. It wasn't Isaiah's qualifications that led to his calling It was the holiness of God at work in his life that qualified Isaiah for anything he needed. For everything he needed. His questions are not for his information, but they're for our involvement. Parents, don't rob your kids of them getting to see God accomplish kingdom things through you. Don't rob your children of that. Let them see God pour out his grace on you so that you can in turn pour it out on others. We should all recognize that God has given us the opportunity to join what he is doing. We are just joining in, right? We, we just get, I got to be a small part of what God was doing as a kid growing up. Cooper gets to be a small part of it. He may not be equipped, and goodness, I'm not equipped, but God is, and so God gets the glory. Why Isaiah as the most underqualified? So that the one who is ultimately qualified would get the glory. So can God use somebody else to whatever he's called you to do? Absolutely. Just as easily as reading Isaiah 6, we could have been reading, uh, we could have been reading John 6, or we could be reading George 6, or we could be reading Sally 6. It doesn't matter who. But Isaiah got the opportunity to be involved. So could God use someone else? He sure could. But be amazed by the fact that he desires to use you and me. He desires to use us. But his message will be communicated. Thirdly and finally, the plan. Let's look at the plan as we close. We stop there, don't we? We stop in verse 8. Because that makes you feel real good. And everybody's like, yeah, let's charge hell with a water pistol. I want you to hear, I want you to read this. I want to be in the spirit of full disclosure. I want you to read what Isaiah has to do. Let's read his message. Isaiah 6, verse 9. And he said, this is the plan. This is God's plan for Isaiah. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Hang on, God. He ain't done. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and to be healed. Do you know what God is telling Isaiah to do? Not to encourage people to turn, but your message will in fact have the opposite effect. It will turn people further from me. They're going to be so mad at you, Isaiah, that when you walk around them, they spit in your direction. They can't stand you. In fact, they would later kill him, right? Isaiah would die for the calling that God had placed on his life. This was not good news for Isaiah. What God calls us to is not on our terms. If we see God for who he is on his terms, if we experience God's goodness and forgiveness on his terms through salvation, then our sending is not on our terms either. 
And so whether that is good or bad for you, often God's calling does not mean that what he's called us to will be easy. In fact, most of the time it means that you will be called to difficulty. Think about Jesus. What did Jesus say? This is not, this is the anti-prosperity gospel, right? What did Jesus say? Look, birds of the air have nests and foxes have dens, but the son of man is homeless. This is Jesus' message. What God had called him to was difficult. But even in that, we see the point. Because the plan is in the difficulty, in the difficult task, we are driven to the feet of the one who called us. And I'm going to tell you guys, there's times in ministry that are great. And fun. Dude, I have fun in ministry. There are other times where things are hard. And the only thing that I have is the fact that I know that God has called me to do what I'm doing. But in either way, he gets the glory. It's on his terms, not my own. And so I don't want to sugarcoat and make you feel like that you're going to become, you know, Billy Graham and lead the nations to Jesus, right? Your calling may be similar to Isaiah in that he was given a very difficult message to communicate, but he did it. And so I'm not going to say that it's going to be easy. What I will say is it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Because success is not measured by results for God. It's measured by reliance on God. The point is not so that you can do awesome things for Jesus. The point is that you can depend on Jesus time and time and time and time again. And I know what some of you are thinking. Where's his object lesson? Where's his illustration, right? Where's his little cute thing that he ties the point and brings it home with? I want to do something different today. I want your heart, your posture before God to be your own illustration today. The reason why we have switched this service is because in just a moment the band's going to come up. You've heard the word of the Lord spoken. We get an opportunity to sing it. We get an opportunity to sing about the holiness of God. We get to adore him for who he is. We get the opportunity today to speak well of the atonement and how Christ has taken away our sin and our iniquity. We get to celebrate that as a church. But we do it all to prepare us for his sending. And so that's the posture that we're going to take. We're going to allow God to speak to us. We're going to worship him. We're going to adore him and meet him on his terms through music to prepare us for what God wants to do outside the four walls of this church. Let your heart's posture toward him be the object lesson today. Meet him on his terms and let him dictate the rest. He loves you. He has such a plan for you. But he's holy. He's holy. And he desires to make a difference in my life. And he can make a difference in yours as well. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to go into a time of invitation. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the message that God has given us. The band is making their way forward.
But right now, this is the time for you. If you're here today and you need to make a decision for Christ, you need to make a decision to commit your life to him. There's never been a time where you've confessed your sins to him. You've confessed that you're a sinner, that you are broken. Right? As, Jer- as Isaiah would say, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. If there's never been a time where you've confessed your sins to Christ, you've sought forgiveness for those sins, you've repented from those sins, and you've turned to God as your Lord and Savior, you have the opportunity to do that today. We have counselors that are in this room would love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make. Anything that you need to do, any, any decision that you need to make today, we've got counselors would love to talk to you. Here's what I would ask you to do. And in just a moment, we're going to begin to sing. And maybe the first step that you need to do in order to get your heart right before God is maybe you need to respond to him in obedience. Maybe you need to join him in what he's doing in his plan for the world. Maybe you need a relationship with Christ. I would ask that when we stand that you would find the center aisle, that you would come find me here at the front. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pass you on to a counselor. We'd love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus today. But whatever decision needs to be made, maybe you've walked a guilty distance from, maybe you need to return. You know you're a Christian, but you need to return from what you're doing. You need to live for him on his terms, not your own. This altar is for you. You need to come and lay down whatever it is. Maybe you need to intercede for somebody. This is an open invitation for you to move through the course of this worship set. You have the opportunity to move. This altar is open. We would love for you to do business with God. Whatever it is, whatever decision needs to be made, I pray that you would do it today before it's everlasting too late. He loves you. desires for you to know Him to be in relationship with him. Father, give us boldness to be obedient to you, whatever that means, whatever you've called us to. I pray that you would be glorified in our actions, whether that means one that needs to receive you as Lord and Savior, whether that means one that needs to join what you're doing here at the church or follow you as we've seen modeled by these three in believers' baptism. Or maybe we just need to do business with you at this altar or spend time in prayer at our seats, whatever the case may be. God, I pray that we would move as you lead us. Let us meet you on your terms. Because, God, we are desiring to be sent by you on this incredible assignment. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. It's in your name we pray.